At Skyview, we strive to love God and others through generous hospitality and meaningful friendship. For more information about Skyview Church, please visit us at www.skyviewchurch.ca. Morning, everybody. Welcome. This is, feels weird all of a sudden. You know, I was staying up late last night wrestling with, you know, the final touches of what I was going to say this morning. And I went to sleep, probably ate too many cheesies. And I don't know if you've ever stayed up too late and then had too many cheesies. It messes with your dreams. And I had this dream that two of my ex-students were at a camp and they were vandalizing the place. And it just, I woke up. I don't know if you've ever had this where you just wake up and you're just going, going, do I need to talk to somebody? Like, am I going crazy? Like, am I, do I need to, some medical attention? Um, do I need some pills in order to make my life normal? Like, I, it was one of those mornings this morning, and I haven't quite sh- lost that feeling yet. So just to be honest with you, um, this morning may be a bit of a gong show. I'm not totally, I've, I've got some plans. Um, I've got some notes, but uh I hope you're going to enjoy the ride with me because I don't fully know where it's going to end up. So that's that's just like a like a little disclaimer at the beginning. Uh, let's let's pray together if we could. Father God, I thank you so much for for you, um, Father, that that you love us so terribly much, and that you care intensely about the things that are going on inside of our lives, God, and you you care about. You care about it when we have good days, and I, and I think you support that, Father, and I, and I think that you want to support us also when we're having not-so-good days. God, all of us here in this room, we, we wrestle and we struggle with varying levels of stress and chaos and just the stuff in our lives that gets in the way and distracts us from you, Father. Um, we, we admit that we're human and that we don't control all of that stuff. And so, Father, I, I thank you that that you care about it. Um, I really do thank you for that, Father. I thank you that, that no matter what I think is happening in my life, God, you know what's happening. And there's a certain reassurance there. God, I thank you so much for your Son um, who, who came to earth on your behalf and, and lived a life, a, a pure and good life, and proved to us that, that it's worth trying to, Father. And, and then he, he died on a cross brutally to save us from our sin, Father. That we don't have to be slaves to the chaos that goes on inside of our hearts, Father. We, we don't need to let pain rule us anymore. We can, in fact, have peace with you, Father. And it's because of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for him. God talking about pain and chaos and crisis and all that stuff, Father. We also thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes and encourages, who comforts us, who lets us know when some of it's our fault and helps us to correct. But more importantly, Father, comes and, and comes alongside of us and holds our hand and, and guides us through. God, when we're having great days, it's really easy to ignore you and to completely forget uh, what meaning you have in our lives. It's easy to toss out, you know, just a really, really easy thank you, God, and then just sort of let it be. But God, it's when we really experience pain that we come to you and, and we cry out and we beg you to come and be close to us. 
We thank you, God, for responding. In your son's name we pray, amen. I want to tell you a story about uh, some pain that happened in, not in my life, although it, it resulted in some pain, um, and it didn't happen in my children's life, although I'm sure they were affected by it. It actually happened in my dog's life. So if you, if you would just give me some, some leeway here to tell a dog story. I know some of you are cat people and some of you are more bunny people and hate dogs, but just go with me on a dog story. Um, it was about five years ago, and uh, we had our kids, uh, you would have been, what, eight? Something like that. My little other little kid would have been about maybe six or something like that. And we were in this raft, and we were going down the North Saskatchewan River. Now, it's not just like a one-day trip. It's like a several three- or four-day trip to get down the part where we were going. And we decided for some ridiculous reason. We'd gone before. We'd been rafting with our kids since the little one, before he was two. And so it kind of was this normal thing that we would do. And we wanted to... (laughs) The reason why we did it is because we wanted them to think that, that chaos and pain and calamity is normal. Um, we want them to think that risk is a regular part of life. And so if we, we figure that if we started them off this early, then they would just sort of assume that that's how all parents parent. Um, we are not right on that. I, I don't know. We, we know a lot of social workers now. We don't tell that story a lot. But um, anyway, so we were, everything was mostly safe. Of course, there's certain unpredictable things when you're out in the bush, you know, and you're just camping on the side of the water. You never know what's going to happen. And of course, you never know what's going to happen on the river. Well, in this particular week or this particular trip, we decided to take our dog. Now, our dog's name is Bono. Not because we're U2 fans, but because we got him secondhand. And if you're going to get a dog secondhand, Bono's about as good a name as anyone else. So that's we our dog. Now, the other thing you need to know about our dog is our dog is really big. He's 110 pounds. Like, he's quite large. He eats far more than I do. Um, and, and he's just, he's a big, dopey brute. He, he's got Labrador ears and he's brown. He's kind of got a little bit of a collie mix in there. And he's got this really, really cute face that when you mash up all of the fur, it just, he just really looks awesome. Now, we decided to take this dog with us, I think because we believed Actually, I think we couldn't get somebody to watch him that week is probably what happened. But I'll tell the story as if we just really wanted to spend time with him. Um, we've got this six-man raft, and, and it holds probably six men if they, you don't have any stuff. But we had four of us, if you include the kids as full people, plus a bunch of gear for three or four days, and plus this giant dog. Okay? Now, we should have known right away that taking this dog on this inflatable raft was Probably a poor life choice from the beginning. But there we were. Once you start down the river, you, you only have one direction to go, and so that's what we were doing. We ended up going off this uh, this shelf. Now, shelf is like terminology you would use if you were familiar with rivers, but basically it's when the river goes like this, and then it goes like this, and then it goes like this. It's not really a waterfall. If it was much bigger, it would be a waterfall, but it's like just a shelf. And if you go over it nicely, if you go over it straight... You just kind of go, whoop, boom, like that. And it's kind of fun, and you go, yay, some water. And everything is great. Now, before this, we decided that it would be a good idea for my kids to learn how to fish, right? Because as you're parenting on the river, what better time to hook something up sharp and throw it over the boat? So my, my little kid, um, six, he was holding his fishing rod like this, and he had 
I don't know, he probably had a hook on it, I imagine. I can't imagine fishing with, actually we do fish quite a bit without hooks because for a long time I didn't trust them. But he probably had a hook on there and I don't know if the hook was even in the water, but there was a little bobber because that's how you know you're fishing is if you can see this little white and red thing bobbing in the water. And we hit this shelf. Now, because we were fishing and we were spending so much time enjoying fishing, and with desperate anticipation, thinking that as soon as the line goes in, then the fish are just going to magically want to get the, whatever you've got on there, which I don't think we even had bait. But um, we were paying so much attention to that, we didn't notice that we were not going straight down on this shelf. And so instead of it just being like that, we ended up going down sideways, and not straight sideways, like fully 90 degrees, but sort of just off. And what ended up happening, I was in the back, because that's the smart place to be. You get better control of the boat. I was unfortunately sitting right next to Leaf, who was over here, and then Candy and the other kid were up there. And they went down, and I saw the water come up inside of the boat, which is okay, because it's rafting. You're supposed to get a little bit wet. But then as that part happened, I went down, and because my side of the boat went down much, much faster and much, much quicker and much, much further than the other side of the boat did, this guy was probably, I don't know, probably 30 pounds or something like that. He's just a scrawny little guy. Went flying over top of the boat and landed in the water over here. Now, we've, we have life jackets on, so don't automatically call social services. Um, maybe wait till the end of the story. But what ended up happening was he went flying over the boat, and I thought actually the whole boat was going to flip right over. And so my first thought was, oh, no, this little guy's going to get trapped underneath the water. And so I decided to jump... In, I just kind of rolled off. I didn't like my superhero jump or anything. I just kind of rolled off thinking, I'm going to sort of save him in case he's got problems. It was the responsible dad thing to do, right? Well, in the confusion and all of that, we didn't notice that the dog had fallen out. Um, it somehow didn't occur to us that this dog is not able to hold on to the appropriate ropes or to signal, uh, to say, you know, hey, I'm falling out or anything like that. They just pretty much go with gravity uh, when they're in, in boats. I don't, just as a tip, if you ever decide to take your dog rafting, don't do it. Um, so anyway, Leaf and I finally get back into the water, and we go floating down a little bit, and we realize that there's far more room in the boat than there was a few minutes ago. And we realize that this great big, huge, brown, furry thing um, isn't with us. So we kind of were looking around, kind of going, well, where is he? The boat didn't, in fact, flip over, so we knew all of our stuff was okay. Where, and we noticed him sort of off, way far behind us. Now, usually when you're on a river, that's not a problem. You just stop the boat, and whatever's behind you catches up. That's how rivers work. It's really, really great that way. So we decided, okay, that's what we'll do. So we kind of paddled over to the edge to wait for the dog. The dog decides to go to the other shore. I don't know exactly why, but we're over here trying to get to the shore, and it, from a shore, it turns into a cliff. And so when we started going to that side, it was going to be really easy. You just kind of slide your boat up, and then you jump out, and you holler at the dog. That was the plan. But what ended up happening was the shore turned into a cliff, and we couldn't grab onto it, and we couldn't stop spinning. We kept on bumping into it and paddling harder, and we couldn't seem to get anything done. And by this time, the dog was over here on the other shore, completely on the other side of the river. The river is probably about as wide as this room. 
Okay, so it wasn't, and it was pretty fast. It wasn't something that I was necessarily prepared to just jump in, swim, grab, I don't know, you headlock a dog to swim him back to safety or what. I wasn't really prepared to do that. And so I thought, let's just get to the shore and make some kind of a plan. So we ended up doing that. He's on the opposite shore and he's howling at us. The whole time he sees us going down, he thinks that we're escaping. I don't know, I don't know what is going through his little dog head, but the whole time he's, he's, he's terrified. And there's this moment that we ended up discussing afterwards where it occurred to me how beautiful it is to be a dog. To see literally, I mean, cause my dog has never been in the wild. He has no idea. He's got sharp teeth, but that's because, actually he doesn't even need sharp teeth. All of his food is, anyway. He, he's a pansy of a dog, right? He has no idea. And I think he knew that. And he knew that we were leaving and he wasn't comfortable with that. And the beautiful moment that I realized that we were in, I realized it too late, is that my dog started to make this really weird howly sound that I've never... It's not like a... Not like a wolf sound. It's not like a bark. But it was more like a half howl, half cry. More like, more almost exactly like that, actually. And what ended up happening, and very, very loudly, I won't do it because it'll hurt your ears because of this microphone, but he was, he was howling at us and, and desperate. And it occurred to me, um, at that moment how great it would be to a, be a dog and to realize that when, when your life really truly is slipping away, when your lifeline, when everything that you love is gone, that that's the exact right noise to make. And I think some of us do that sound, maybe inside of our hearts, but when we're in, in this intense kind of pain, maybe, maybe we can identify with that dog a little bit. What we ended up doing was we ended up stopping, and he ended up actually jumping into the river and <laughs> doggy paddling all the way back, took a leak on the tree, didn't even shake off. He didn't even have enough energy by the time he was done. Didn't even shake himself, just went, flopped down on the boat and started to sleep. That, that was it. And he didn't leave the boat for the rest of the trip. Um, there was other things that happened that week. We ended up with 140 kilometer hour winds uh, in a lightning storm. Uh, I'll never forget that night because we were, we were paddling down and we were looking at all of the erosion and we were talking about how awesome God is you know, teachable moments and all because of this just this calamity we had with the dog. And I thought I was being this great spiritual leader of the household and we were talking about all that and about how great God was. And then that night, these crazy winds, we were, actually, we were in the tent and the kids were luckily asleep, but Candy and I, we were holding the tent off of us so that we could breathe because it was right, it was flattened right down on us. And, and Candy's like, what's going to happen? I'm like, well, you better pray because I think we might die tonight. And you know, it's it, like I say that now and I can almost say it jokingly, but I'll tell you, I don't know if I've ever prayed as much as I had uh, nearly suffocating from a tent. Um, and it's funny because we connected with some songs uh, that, that trip probably deeper than we ever have in our whole life. It was the trip where everything that sort of goes wrong goes wrong. And uh, we, learned, we learned how to howl this sort of strange howl cry that our dog made. He actually taught us what it means to be in pain and to to look to see where your resources really are and how to be desperate. Um, There's this little passage in James. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in James, but I think it's good for us to start here. James chapter 1. I'm just going to read verse uh, 2, 3, and 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I teach college here at Rocky Mountain College, and um, I don't know how many people come into my classroom or come into my office, and they all sort of seemingly want the same thing. Whatever language they put to it, the, the ultimate question always seems to be, I want to be more mature, I want to be more complete, I feel like I'm lacking something and it's not satisfying, what can I do? And I used, to, I used to, on the first week of school, I used to tell the students the same thing, and I stopped doing it because they hated me. I used to say, you know what, if you really want to understand who you are, if you really want to understand God, put yourself full force into pain, and you'll learn who you really, truly are. And then I would tell them, I will pray for pain for you this year. I stopped doing that. I, I'll tell you what, I still pray for pain for them, I just don't tell them that I do, because then they blame me. Um, but, you know, to, to understand, I mean, think about it, right? The only way that we really truly understand who we are is to go through trials and tribulations, to have our faith really tested. And then when your faith has been tested, that's how you know who you are, right? If I'm a fireman, I can say that I'm brave. But if I'm not brave enough to go into the building that's, bur- that's burning, I'm not really that brave. It's got to be tested. And that's the same thing with all of, all of how we understand ourselves. Put yourself in pain, understand pain, learn from pain, grow from pain. And then you'll really truly understand who you are, and you'll be lacking nothing. You'll become mature and complete. In North America, we we purchase our way out of pain all of the time. Oh, I have a headache. Here's a pill. Right? Oh, I don't want to walk. Okay, I'll go for a drive. We, We never have to deal with pain in North America ever if we don't want to. We can purchase our way out of it. And, I, and it's no surprise that we look at our young people, and now some of our young people who are now becoming older people, they're not mature. They're not complete. There's plenty of things that they're lacking. Why? Because they've never really understood pain. Okay? So I wanted to start there, because I think the question that I want to ask this morning is, it's good for us to say, engage in pain. But the problem is, how do you do it? That's really the big question. And it's really easy probably for me to stand at the front and say, okay, well, here's the, here's the life lessons. Here's one, two, three, A, B, C. Here you go. Wind up and off you are. Uh, but that sounds so trite to me. I've had people do that as I was going through pain, and I wanted to punch them in the throat. I've never been so angry with people as when they've tried to give me advice of how to get through my pain or how to just love Jesus more. I don't know if you can identify with that, but that's not what you want to hear. You want to hear, I want you to sit down with me, and I want you to cry with me. That's what I really want. What what I want is for you to not tell me how everything is going to be okay. I know up here everything is going to be okay, but in here, there's turmoil, there's pain. I, I, I know that everything is going to be okay. What I need you to do is to show me. That's what we need. And so that's where we're going this morning. And I'm sorry, it feels like I'm taking so long to actually get into where I want to go. And we're spending our time in Philippians. Um, Stu kind of started me off on this whole Philippians kick a little bit. And I just wanted to finish off at least the last, the third chapter anyway. We're not going to have time to go through all of it. In fact, I'm going to assign homework um, for you to read the whatever we don't connect with. Because I think it's important for us. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. 
in verse 12. If you don't have it in your Bible, it's in your bulletin. What I'm going to do is we're just going to study through this passage a little bit. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to preach right now. Um, what I want to do is I want to actually just, I wish that we were small enough of a group that we could just sit in a circle and we could just study together. I wish that it could be more interactive. And I'm going to fake that a little bit actually by doing, by doing something not preaching. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I'm just going to read a little bit and then I'm just going to offer some comments and some suggestions. Um, I think that would be helpful. And I think, what I'd love to do is at the end, if we have time, for us to actually even maybe turn our chairs together and sort of, okay, does this make any sense? Is this guy on crack? Or, like, how do we actually live this out in our day-to-day life? It would be great. And I don't know if we know each other well enough as a community, but to be praying for each other, I think that would be great. So start right now getting nervous about that later, okay? Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse, verse 12. This is, this is Paul talking, and uh, I just want to remind you that, that Paul is like the spiritual superhero of the early Christian faith, and probably the, the superhero of the Christian faith probably since he was alive. I mean, I don't know if anybody is... He wrote half, more than half of the New Testament, right? He planted, I don't know how many churches, I don't know how many people he went to Christ. I don't know, I don't know who he was as a person beyond all of the great things he did. But I want you to hear the first thing that he says here because it's so important for us to understand. He says, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. Because if anybody has, it probably would have been him. I mean, there's Jesus and then there's just a little bit below him, Paul. And then way down here is sort of the rest of us, right? So Paul's like way up there in terms of spirituality, superdom. And if he hasn't obtained this, if he himself is saying, I'm not perfect, that's good for us to just be able to rest and breathe in that and recognize we aren't either. And it's okay. We don't have to pretend we are. We can just drop that whole facade, call it what it is, call a spade a spade, and just do it a little bit different than that. This is what he does. And I I want you to understand that Philippians, he wrote this book while he was in prison, waiting his death. He writes this in the context of pain. Okay, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make it clear to you. Paul is saying here, I have not quit. I am not done. I don't know what Paul's doctrine on entire sanctification was, but I'm sure that he would have gotten it right. We're Nazarenes, right? We're supposed to believe in entire sanctification, which, by the way, doesn't mean that once you're entirely sanctified, you can be done now. Because we sometimes misread that. We misunderstand that that's what that means. It's not. The whole idea of sanctification, the whole idea of being made perfect means that now we have an opportunity to finally win. 
Now we don't have to be strapped down with sin on our back, logged down and defeated constantly. We have a fighting chance now. That's what it means. And can you imagine that with the word entire in front of it? (laughs) Paul is staying hungry. And if you're looking at your notes, that's where I'm at. He says, don't stay where you are. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how close you think you are to perfection. But you're not done. Stay hungry. Allow God to keep working. And you know what? When we're in pain, that's probably the first question to ask. How much of this is my fault? What can I do? Where can I adjust? Not that we need to beat ourselves up over it, because it's pretty easy to do. But it's at least a good place to start. Some of the pain that we have in our life really is our fault. So let's own it. Let's fix it. Let's make it right. Let's allow God to come in do some work. We've not arrived. Verse 16. Only let us to live up to what we have already obtained. My, my first year of Bible college, I remember I was up in Edmonton. And uh, at the very beginning, we had this orientation time, and we were supposed to learn about where all of our classes were going to be, and we were supposed to learn about, okay, if you haven't paid tuition, and there's all of that sort of nitty-gritty stuff. And the president comes into the room, and he sits down, and we're in this great big huge circle, and he sits down and he says, guys, you don't need to be here. And I was like, well, we just, I just paid. What do you mean I don't need to be here? And, and he goes on and he says, you don't need to be here. You don't need to learn anything more about Jesus Christ. You don't need to learn anything more about your faith. And we were all hooked. What? We're paying good money to learn more about our faith right now. And you're telling us that we don't need it. What does this mean? He says, you don't need to learn anything more. You need to learn how to put more into practice. We have our heads so full of stuff that we've never applied. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. We don't need to learn something brand spanking new doctrinally every week. In fact, if you are, that probably is a problem. Do you know what I mean? If you, if you every week, you come and you learn some great new truth, either it's because the preaching is bad, or because we're not learning at home, because this is the first time we've started to pay attention. There's a disconnect there. Okay? Christian discipleship is not about bigger and better and different. Christian discipleship is about stronger and deeper and further and more consistent. Do you see the difference there? Let me say it again. Christian discipleship is not about bigger and better and different. That is the exact right way to fall into false doctrine. Christian discipleship is about stronger and deeper and further and more consistent. It is not flashy. It is not super exciting. It is a long-term thing. Okay, so let's start there. And let's understand how that looks in the context of pain. Okay, that means that when you pray for deliverance, yes, God may deliver you. But guess where you learn how to be stronger? Guess where you learn how to be deeper? Guess where you learn how to go further and more consistent in your faith? Is not when everything is happy-go-lucky. It's during pain. That's how we do it. So don't be surprised if God doesn't deliver you right away. Instead, stop. Consider, what might I learn here? How can I use this opportunity to become more intimate with my Savior, Jesus Christ? That's at least the right question to ask. Not, how fast can I get out of this trouble? Do you see the difference there? Verse 17. 
Join with others in following my example. Wow, i got to stop right there because I don't know if I've ever said that and meant it. I don't, I don't know if my faith walk is consistent enough that I'm going to say, all right, everybody, guess what? Mimic me. That is daunting. And yet, here's the funny thing. That's probably exactly where I should be. I've been a Christian for like, like a real Christian. I used to be a drug addict in high school, right? Like that's kind of my high school life. It's been, this Christmas will be 20 years since that time in my life. 20 years of walking consistently with my Savior. Maybe there should be people following me maybe a little bit more than they have been. Maybe I should put myself... Maybe, maybe if people aren't following me, maybe it's because I'm not as consistent as I would like to be. And I, I say me, but I might be meaning us. Maybe we need to do a better job of living a life that is exemplary for the benefit of those around us. I love... I love that uh, Paul has the audacity to just say this right in Scripture. He writes it down. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. The pattern's in Scripture, right? We don't need to guess at how God wants us to live our life. It's not rocket science. Or if you're a rocket scientist, it's not like trying to talk to women. I don't know. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. We, We know people like that, right? And we know people like that that try to drag us down to their level, to try to think so earthy that we get our priorities mixed up. That all of a sudden our appetite actually becomes our God. I mean, that's what he means when he says that their God is their stomach. Their destiny is destruction. Their glory is in their shame. There's so much in our culture where we glory in shame. And it's ridiculous. How did we get to that point? Where is Jesus in that? And why am I not fighting harder against that kind of shenanigans? Really, I ought to be. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. I remember when we went to Haiti a few, was it two years ago? Uh, My family, we all went. We decided to do a family missions trip. Again, partly because it's ridiculous, and I signed up for that immediately. We ended up going to Haiti, and not like the regular part of Haiti that was all earthquake-torn, although it was right after the earthquake. We actually went like way back over the mountains into the sticks where like nobody goes, um, partly because that's who would take us. And we ended up going with a bunch of Rocky students. And, and the whole time, we, we knew that people in Haiti really love to play soccer. And because we knew that there's a language barrier there, we thought, okay, well, we'll take a bunch of soccer balls and we'll play soccer and then we'll start to develop some relationships. And we had all these grand ideas of what was going to happen within the week that we were there. Uh, and some of it kind of happened. I mean, you always sort of walk away thinking, yeah, we could have done more. Um, but it was sort of our first kick at the cat. And because we had little kids, sorry, I just said kicking cats. I didn't mean it. Um, because we had kids, we, we were thinking it would be great because all we have to do is get the kids to start playing soccer. And then all the other kids would be like, yay, soccer. And that's exactly what happened. They would all rush the field, jouer, jouer, which means play. And that's about as much Creole as I know. Um, 
But we made a horrible, horrible mistake. And I want to point it out to you, not not because I'm proud of it, but but as we were playing, the translator pulled me aside because I was sort of the ringleader. And he says to me, he goes, you're not from here, are you? I'm like, I look at him, black as can be. I look at me, I'm about as white as I ever am. My kids, like my, if you've ever seen my other little kid, he's really, really white. Um, yeah, we're not, clearly not from here at all. Yeah, he's sitting over here in the dirt eating. Um, clearly, clearly not from here. But of course, I've got to ask the question, what makes you say such a thing? <laughs> you're not from here because you're doing things different than us. Yay, good, because we're missionaries, right? That's what we want to do. And then it occurred to me, I might be culturally insensitive in this moment. Okay, what, tell me, what am I doing wrong? He says to me, you're not, you're not from here because here in Haiti, we don't let girls play soccer. It's a boys game. And we were just like, everybody get on the field. Who cares? It'll be fun, right? But apparently, they don't do it that way. No, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying what we were doing is right. I looked at some girls playing soccer. Maybe they shouldn't be allowed to play. I'm just kidding. But, but, I'm just kidding. Kind of. I'm not. <laughs> Can we just move on? I'm glad you don't have tomatoes. Um, but it, that experience taught me that foreigners do things differently than local people. Right? They dress different. They talk different, sometimes with an accent. They talk about different things. They stand out because they're different. They stand out, I think, also um, because they never really quite seem comfortable in that country. Have you ever noticed that? Can you, can you think back to like that weird foreign exchange kid in your high school? Can you think about that guy just for a minute? Do you remember how awkward he was? He was always sort of like looking over his shoulder, never really knew what was going on. It seemed like his schedule was all out of whack all the time. He just, he, he just, as much as he tried to fit in, he never really did. You know what? Our citizenship is in heaven. We should be obvious. We should stand out of the crowd because we should be awkward here. I don't, know, I don't know if that's landing, guys. I don't know if that's connecting. When I wrote it, it just seemed brilliant. I just thought, man, I just wish that we could always be awkward. In fact, that was almost going to be my benediction. Go in peace and be awkward. Um, and I, I actually kind of mean it. Because I think that if we're exactly going with the flow in everything in our regular day life, and I see what the rest of everyday life looks like for North America... We're doing something desperately wrong. We need to be so awkward because our citizenship is in heaven. We need to be thinking about different kinds of things. We need to be thinking about finally going home. In fact, we need to be more homesick than we probably are. Let me finish the last part of that verse and we'll go on. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You guys, there's so much stuff in that one tiny little verse. We eagerly await a Savior from there. I need to be more eager in how I await for my Savior from there. He's my Savior and he's from there. Guys, that's a whole sermon. We could go right there. The Lord Jesus Christ, 
But listen to this part. This is phenomenal. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, put this into the context of Paul in pain, in prison, awaiting the penalty of death. He's talking about Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Everything will be under his control. Everything. What your wife said to you last Thursday is all of that stuff is under his control. That car accident where I wrecked my shoulder is under his control. The fact that I lost my job is under his control. The fact that I'm not getting along with my kids, all of that will become under his control. All of it. And when everything is finally under his control... Our bodies will be transformed, our lowly bodies, so that they will be like his glorious body. This is talking about a transformation that's going on here. And I want you to remember that when everything is finally under his control, transformation in us takes place. Uh, Take me to the cross in that song that we were just singing. There's this one line that says uh, something about laying myself down, right? It's a beautiful sentiment, and I think that probably we need to pay attention to that. Because guess what? If we don't lay ourselves down and put ourselves under his control, God will use our circumstances to do that. Because of how awesome Jesus is, about how all glory will go to him, that means not only do we need to elevate him, But we also need to bring ourselves underneath him. And sometimes our situations do that, whether we want them to or not. There's this verse um, in chapter 4, verse 7. I just want to read it. Actually, you know what? Let me just kind of read through a little bit. I'll start at verse 4 because there's so much good things here. I want you to go home and read it again because when you're actually in pain and you're like, what do I do right now? This is the text that you really need to be reading. And it's so counterintuitive, and I think that's what the beauty of it. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. This is Paul in prison, awaiting death, trying to be an encouragement to other believers. Okay? Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. He's telling us what our attitude should be like when we're in pain. Be gentle. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know how many times I've read that verse, but I've left off the last few words, and it read like this. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. Phew. That means that I can go on doing my merry old thing, my merry old way, and I don't have to adjust anything. But that's not what it says. It says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you want the peace that passes all understanding, where do you need to be? You need to be in Christ Jesus. And that's where he guards our hearts and our minds. 
you know, again, this isn't rocket science, right? This isn't something totally brand new. This is something that we've been told from when we were wee, wee little kids. Learn how to fall in love with Jesus more. Put your heart, your trust, your mind, focus all of that completely on Jesus and everything is going to be okay. I don't know how many times I've told my kids that. It still is right. It's still the right thing. Finally, brothers, verses, verse 8 in chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you're lying in the dirt with your face in the ground, it's really easy to think about dirt. Don't think about dirt. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Find an example and follow the example. Follow me as I follow Christ. Find somebody. You know, the best parenting advice that I ever got, ever in my whole life, was watch other parents who have kids that are further along than yours. It's the best advice I ever got. Because if you like what they did, if you like the way their kids turned out, copy them. And if you think their kids are jerks, do the opposite of what they did. Best advice I ever had in my whole entire life. I wish I could follow it better, but that's pretty much... And you know what? And the same thing, the exact same thing is true in our faith. Find somebody whose faith is where you would like yours to be, and then go and find out what they did and copy them. Don't copy the sin. Don't copy the excuses. Don't copy the humanity. Don't, don't copy the foolishness. Copy the part of them that so desires to be close with Christ. Let's jump back to chapter 4, verse 1, and I want to finish up, because I actually think it would be cool if we could pray together. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom you love, sorry, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Paul's getting mushy, hey? You ever notice that? Paul's just like, I always think of Paul as like this tyrant, tyrant for Jesus. I feel like being an ex-Pharisee, that's kind of how he would be. He went and he murdered a bunch of Christians, so he's probably like this like angry man, and he's right lots of times, so you can't argue with him, but he's just like an angry guy. That's kind of the impression I get. And then you read a verse like this. <laughs> you brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. Really? That's ridiculous. I mean, not ridiculous, but it's just, it seems so over the top. But I think he's trying to make a point here. He's trying to say, you know what? We care about you. I care about you. I care about what's happening. Whenever you're in the depths of despair, I want you to understand you've got a cheering section. I care about what happens in your life. Therefore, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. Let your heart accept encouragement. It's probably one of the most powerful reasons why we connect. We connect because it's good for us to sing together. It's good for us to hear God's word together, all of those things. But, you know, if we miss the encouragement part of what happens as a congregation, as a community of believers, we're completely missing the thing that we're supposed to be here for. Because I don't know if you've recognized this, but there's this thing, it's, uh, it's kind of new. It's called the Internet. Um, and on the internet, you can get, you can download sermons, 
and some of them are better than Pastor Stu's. Um, you can you can uh, also buy CDs or download music, um, and much of it is better than what we can do here together. That is not the main reasons why we get together. We get together because we're a community of faith. And one of our jobs, one of our, I think it's one of our highest callings as a community is to encourage each other when we're in pain. Like I said, this is not anywhere I wanted it to end, although I kind of gave you forewarning, so now I feel like I have permission to do this because nobody got up and left. Um, what I'd like for us to do, and I, I recognize this is going to throw everything out that we planned for the end, can we get into groups of maybe four or five or maybe not as many as ten because it's kind of too big? And just spend a few minutes praying for one another, just spending a chance to just, you know, we don't need to go around the circle and say, this is what I'm struggling with if you don't want to. The reality is, is we're all human beings and we all have varying levels of stress and chaos and hurt and pain. We all have that. Okay? So let's just call it what it is. And just say, you know what, you're in pain, I'm in pain, we're all in pain, let's be in pain together and shoulder each other's load. Okay? And we can just pray even really simply for one another. Okay? Maybe we'll have a, maybe if we can split up, maybe into four or five groups sort of like this, and turn your chairs, I think at the, I'm just going to call it an audible here. When, when we're done praying, we're done. I'll do kind of a benediction right now to just sort of say, we're officially finished, so because I know people are awkward about how do we know. Um, and then we'll just pray, and then we can just sort of scamper off to the rest of our long weekend. Is that okay? Father God, I thank you so much that, um, that you're honest about pain and that you're honest about the human condition and you really recognize the stuff that we struggle with. And God, not only do you, do you see it and understand it, but God, that you meet us there. And God, I pray that as a, as a community of believers, Father, that we would learn how to care and love each other even better than we do. To really be their God for each other. Not to just throw out trite little comments or little unhelpful advices or whatever, God, but to actually walk through each other's pain with them. God, that's what I dream for. I think that's what you designed the church to be. God, I pray that you would help us as we do that. Help us even even right now. I know many of us are not comfortable even praying in a group, and, and that's fine, God, if we don't have to. But, um, God, I, I thank you for opportunities like this. I pray that we'd make the best of it. God, I pray that uh, you'd keep people safe on the road this weekend. You don't know how many people out there are being drunk or just being stupid, God. And um, God, I just pray that you'd protect people who are driving from that kind of stuff. People who are driving, God, obviously, keep giving mercies on the road. Um, pray that family camp would be going well, God, and that they'd be learning lots and connecting with each other there as well. In your son's name, we always pray, amen. All right.